The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome once again to Season 4 of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. It's the first episode of Season 4. I am the namesake once again, happy to be back with you for another year of high school football. We thank you for the download, the subscribe. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday during the high school football season. This is a podcast about high school football in the mid-Ohio Valley area of West Virginia and Ohio. Occasionally, we take a broader look statewide, and we tend to do so more in West Virginia, though if things in Ohio merit, we will definitely cover the statewide scene on a greater scale in Ohio. We've got a lot of new things to get to this season and some new wrinkles in the show. I'm really excited for how that's going to unfold, and you'll hear more about that in coming days. Basically, since we last talked, where are things now? When last we talked, COVID-19 was threatening to run amok, and it had already brought a premature end to the high school football season by wiping out the Super 6 and forcing the state to crown champions ahead of time a week earlier than they'd planned just because teams were not from counties that were healthy enough to support high school athletics based on the codes and the rules and regulations that were in place. So you had champions, but they weren't champions that were decided on the field. Nonetheless, that does not take away from the accomplishment of the three champions that we had in all three classes. They were great teams throughout the years. It's just that we came by our champions in a way that is not what we would have expected or what we would have wanted in an ideal circumstance. But we were not living in an ideal time eight months ago when this show wrapped up. I did two pieces of prep that I don't usually do before taping today's show. I don't know that I've ever done this to this level in any other point in the three plus prior seasons. I listened to the monologue that started episode one of last season, and I listened to the end of the season finale. Both were stark, depressing, and sadly, prophetic. This from episode one, not even eight minutes into the show. Another truth that we need to tackle, we may not get a full season. Once we get through the regular season, the state and the world may be at a place with coronavirus where we have to go into some lockdowns again. And that prohibits people from traveling even to play the county next door or the team next door. Gatherings of any size may be something we're not able to do as the calendar winds on in November and December. We just don't know. Again, that's from episode one of last season, and boy, how prophetic did that turn out to be. We not only did not get to finish last season the way we would have expected, but we also were deprived of a matchup in a Class A state championship game that would have pitted neighboring counties against one another. I did not mean for that to be as on the nose as it turned out to be, but as we know, it unfortunately was. One of the things I said at the start of last year was that I would do my best to keep the COVID discussion nonpartisan and I feel I did that. I also said my only aim in talking about COVID on this program was to mention its impact on the high school football season and to tell it in the context of the high school football season and what was its impact on that season. And I think this show accomplished that as well. I feel like a lot of people probably looked at this show as yet another reminder of a depressing reality when all you want to is escape. But guess what? COVID entered the realm of just about every one of our escapes anyway. I do not apologize one bit for the time we had to give to it last 
last year. It wasn't just a story, it was the story. I didn't like having to be the harbinger of bad things to come on the show last year. It wasn't a fun job, and I knew there were a lot of people that probably tuned this show out during the season as the season wore on because they didn't like what I had to say about COVID. As I told somebody late in the season, it very much was a damned if you do, damned if you don't feeling. Because for me, I felt like you either have to talk about it and confront what's going on head on, or you're burying your head in the sand and you're not talking about the real story. Not a fun position to be in. I'm not trying to make myself out to be any kind of a victim here, but it wasn't fun for me, and I'm sure it wasn't fun for you having to listen to that, or for some of you that were turned off by this program last year. Looking at this year, it could possibly be a story again, because I don't think school systems and state leaders honestly thought vaccination numbers would be as sluggish as they've been lately. The pandemic hasn't gone away as we know, and it won't for some time. We're still living in a public health crisis, albeit one that's improved from last year. And that was one of the interesting things in going back and listening to last year's season opener. Last year in the season premiere, I actually spent time trying to convince listeners that we were indeed in a pandemic, because back then you had to still sell that to people. There were a lot of people late summer last year that thought, oh, this will just go away and we'll be good to go. No, it didn't go away. In fact, it got worse as winter went on and we hit the darkest days in January and February. It actually got worse. So it seems crazy now that you'd have to sell that, but this time last year you did. So like with everything else last year, the numbers will drive what happens next with a pandemic. If there is a rising number of cases and a rising number of deaths, this may not come down to a vaccinated versus unvaccinated thing and who gets to do stuff. The public health situation, because there are so many unvaccinated people, might get to the point where stuff just has to be shut down again. Let's hope it doesn't. I certainly hope it doesn't. I don't want a repeat of last year. But if it does, that will be what causes it. It will be the hesitation of the unvaccinated to step up and get those vaccinations that will essentially ruin things for everybody, to use that phrase. So while COVID doesn't look to be the elephant in the room that it was last year, it's still very much in the picture. Do I expect the same level of disruption as last year? Not by a long shot, nor do I ever want to see that kind of disruption in any realm of life ever again. But there will still be isolated outbreaks, especially among teams and schools in counties where vaccine rates remain low. You want to avoid that? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Get vaccinated. There's still time, and it may save your team's season, not to mention your life and the lives of those you love. Nearly 100% of all COVID deaths in the U.S. are among unvaccinated individuals. Don't be a statistic. And if you're a young person and you're not vaccinated and your parents aren't vaccinated either, consider finding out the facts for yourself and get help from a trusted adult if you need to make that decision, if you need to be convinced about the evidence that's out there. Another thing to remember this year, just like last year, be patient with coaches, athletes, and administrators this season, whether you're a parent of a player, whether you're a fan or a booster or just someone that's in the community, understand that we're still coming out of a pandemic. We all went through a lot of COVID-related trauma last year. There are a lot of people that are still processing that. I know I'm one of them. Everyone had different challenges and burdens in their working lives, not to mention the things that they went through in their personal lives. If they dealt with it themselves, if they had it, if a loved one had it, if someone they knew died from COVID, there are a lot of downstream repercussions to what the pandemic has caused that are only now being played out. So be patient with people. Extend grace. Extend mercy when you're out in public, when you're out at sporting events. Understand that you don't know what burdens others are dealing with personally and professionally. So these coaches that you're questioning for this decision, these administrators you're questioning for this decision, show them a little understanding. What can we expect on the field? Well, expect St. Mary's to give it their best to defend their state title, though they've lost a lot from last year's team, and expect a lot of other teams to come out 
that with massive chips on their shoulder. Ritchie County, for watching that color-coded map, robbed their chance to play for championship glory. They're going to be ticked off. We'll talk about that more in future weeks. Williamstown and Parkersburg High, for seeing those playoff chances never even come to fruition. They're also going to be ticked off. These are schools that are steeped in tradition. They get there every year. They didn't get a chance to play a playoff game. Though that might be small potatoes in the larger scale of the pandemic, that meant a lot to the people that have put a lot of time in to work toward that goal. And there'll be chips on the shoulders of other teams that don't feel like St. Mary's rightfully deserve to win that title. That resentment's going to be there. If you're a Blue Devil fan, there may be an undercurrent of people online. I'm sure there's some of that online already. Uh, And you might get some of that in person for people that don't feel like that state championship was earned. It was earned. St. Mary's played the games they were scheduled to play and the games they were able to play by the rules and regulations we had in place. That's all you can really say about that, to be honest. Did everyone get a fair chance to win a state championship? title last year? No, they did not. Were we dealing with a very unfair time? Yes. Yes, we were. COVID is not a disease that deals in fairness, as diseases don't often deal in fairness. But the state champions were crowned, and you have to kind of live with it at this point. But that doesn't mean you can't use that anger and that frustration with the situation and channel that towards something positive for this year. And I'm sure players and coaches, not just locally, but statewide, are doing that as well. One of the things I also said at the end of the season finale was that I had a fun time last season, and that was only partially true. wasn't trying to lie or be deceitful. I had fun covering the playoffs, and I had fun making this show and talking with you, especially when this first came out. Some of these situations, this was the first time I talked to a whole lot of people outside my family or my co-workers in several months. I enjoyed the interviews. I enjoyed chatting about something that felt normal. I needed that. I had fun with this, and I had fun covering the playoffs. The rest, honestly, was really scary. You never knew from one minute to the next what news you'd receive. There were situations where you'd walk into a press box and everyone that you're used to seeing was not there because of COVID contact tracing. That's stark when you'd see people just disappear from when you expected to see them. If the last year has taught us one thing, though, it's that we need to be grateful for every day and for all blessings. I'm grateful for the chance to once again talk about high school football, grateful for your support of the show, and optimistic for a better season than last year. So things are better than they were eight months ago. They're not all the way to where they need to be when we last talked and when we left things last year. But I'm optimistic that we're going to get a better season and optimistic that the world is in a better place because after last year, I think we all need a dose of optimism. We need that positivity right now. I won't pull punches or hold back. I'm not going to sugarcoat the truth and the facts, but I'm also not here to be a source of negativity. I want this show to be about football and only football. We'll deal with COVID like we did last year as far as it relates to the situation and as far as it relates to the topic at hand. It really looks like this year we're going to be able to talk more about football and actual games, players, things like that, the action on the field, than about the pandemic and the impact that it's had on all of those things. Let's dip into some news and notes for the first time this year. Once again, there will be no football at Parkersburg Catholic. And this is news that's come out only in the last few weeks. It'll be the second straight year without football at Parkersburg Catholic. There are really some mixed signals from the school over whether or not football is even a priority at this point. Because let's go back and look at the last couple years. For three years, Parkersburg Catholic's program was led by Lance Benninger. And though he went 0-7 in a really rough first season, they bounced back to go 9-1 and to get into the 
the playoffs where eventually they lost in the first round, but were one of the surprise stories in the state. They followed that up with a 6-4 and four record that unfortunately was not good enough to get into the playoffs, but it was a second straight winning season for the Crusaders under Binniger, and the shame of it was, had they made the playoffs, that was a senior-laden team, and the seniors on that team that have worked hard to build up from 0-7 didn't get that payoff. But after the 2019 season, administration of Parkersburg Catholic decided to part ways with Binniger. They moved on from him without really having a clear succession plan. Eventually, they hired Clint Fought. That happened mid-February of 2020. What happened a month later? Well, the world changed drastically, and so that impacted Fought's ability to recruit players and to bring players into the program, but it also had a larger impact on the Parkersburg Catholic High School community. With education influx, people were hesitant to pay private school rates to possibly have to settle for virtual or online school. So enrollment, I would imagine, took a bit of a hit at Parkersburg Catholic, and when you're recruiting the hallways for your players, and those hallways are less filled, or those hallways are virtual ones at that, it's tough to get people out. So Font moved on without ever coaching a game at Parkersburg Catholic, and in stepped Larry Thompson, who coached five years earlier in the decade at Mount View in the southern part of the state, but then moved for family reasons, I believe, to Louisiana, but either way, wanted to come back closer to home, took this job at Parkersburg Catholic as a way to do that, and moved up to the Mid-Ohio Valley in early 2021 with the goal of coaching high school football this season and with the goal of building up the Parkersburg Catholic program to have enough players to sustain. After he beat around the bushes, tried to get kids to come out, they were not able to do so for this year. They're hoping to maybe play some eight-man football, some JV-level football, to let those seniors have one last chance to play because he's got seniors that have been in the weight room, and he's got people that have been working toward a goal that uh, now is not going to come into fruition for that class. That's a hard message to send. So they'd like to have a chance to play some eight-man football of some sort. We'll see if that happens. Mixed signals because you're hiring a good football coach. Larry Thompson comes with a proven track record. He's got a good reputation in this state. And oddly enough, his last two games at Mount View were against local teams. In 2018, his Mount View squad beat Ritchie County in the first round of the playoffs before losing to Williamstown in the second round. So you hire a legitimately good football coach and a guy with a proven track record of building a program and building a winner. But where is the central push to get players? I've really not seen a whole lot other than that hiring that proves to me that Parkersburg Catholic even wants to have footballers committed to the long-term future at football. And I'm not saying that to be critical. I think it's worth considering, as I've said this in past years, they may need to look at their makeup of the student body and the parents and the families and might need to take a look at that and decide, do we even want to have football at this school? Is that a part of the texture of who we want to be right now? It may not be a part of the culture of Parkersburg Catholic going forward. That would be sad because it has been for a very long time. Also, as a Catholic school, there's always the idea of you're under the wheeling Charleston Diocese. What does the diocese want for your school? Where are they with what you're doing and what your mission has been? And are there larger things Things that could make it problematic for Parkersburg Catholic to even continue as a school, much less as a football playing school. So uh, there's some really hard questions that need to be conquered sooner than later at Parkersburg Catholic, because Larry Thompson is the kind of coach that if you don't keep your eye on him, if you don't give him the opportunity to do what you brought him there to do, there are going to be people that want to hire him away. He's got a good track record, and someone is going to want him. Peyton City also has a new head coach. Robert Price is looking to get more players and to continue to recruit. After a year where Peyton City was limited to just two games last year because of injuries, depleting an already depleted roster, after that second game, they said, you know what, we're going to pack it up because they just didn't feel like they had the players to last an entire 10-game season, but they wanted to give their kids one last chance to succeed. 
succeed and one last chance to compete, and they did that. So Robert Price is at Payton City. He's the athletic director there, and we'll see if he can follow up on what Zach Heasley had built for two years. And it's a shame he didn't get a lot longer. I think Heasley, in a non-COVID situation, would have built that program back to some level of respectability. And by that, I mean at least having the players to compete. He was making strides before COVID hit. I don't think COVID really unraveled a lot of his plans. He had kids committed. He had kids in the weight room. They were even treating commitments to the football program at Peyton City High School like a commitment at a college program, making graphics and making it into a big deal when you committed a play for the Wildcats, and you were able to take some ownership of that. But unfortunately, that went away. COVID changed some families' minds about whether or not they wanted to risk having their kids play football, and I can understand that. Unfortunately, it unraveled the program for a year. We'll see if Robert Price is able to get things back after uh, the COVID year really limited them to just two games. Some personnel announcements. We have a new statewide correspondent for this show that you'll be hearing from in just a few moments. We're happy to have Taryn Malone aboard on a full-time basis for us this year. Taryn works for Metro News. He's a Magnolia graduate. This show is now so old here in its fourth season that Taryn was a player when this show started and, and would listen to season one with his teammates. He would tell me about that. They would wait for this show to come out and they'd listen to it together. He's now in his third year working for Metro News as he's trying to get through the WVU College of Media. We certainly applaud his efforts to get through the first two, especially with the pandemic uh, wreaking havoc uh, the way it did over the first two years. But uh, again, we're glad to have him on board this year. Longtime listener, longtime supporter of the show, and we'll be glad to be working with him and hearing from him every week. And I have a new broadcast partner on V96.9. Bill Marshall is my new broadcast partner. Garrett Furr, who had been my partner for the last few years, stepped aside to focus on a new job and some new work responsibilities. So he's not back this year. I'll be working with Bill Marshall. Marshall again this year. I've worked with him in basketball season, so the two of us are a proven commodity on the air. Coach Marshall used to be an assistant on both the football and the basketball teams, I believe for John Bolin in football and for Mike Fallon in basketball. He's got five kids, three of whom have already graduated from Parkersburg South. Two are still working their way through the system. A retired state police officer now works for the Department of Military Affairs and Public Safety, best known as DMAPS. I'm excited to have him on board. I think he's going to be a real asset to our broadcast, and I'm just grateful to have that kind of time to spend around him. You may hear him on this show. You'll definitely hear him on Countdown to Kickoff. You'll hear Taryn on this show every week throughout the season. But a couple housekeeping things that I'm happy to announce. This is good news that we're announcing. Uh, Taryn Malone, our new statewide correspondent. We'll hear from him in just a moment. And Bill Marshall, my new partner on V96.9. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. As mentioned a moment ago, one of the new things we have this season is a new statewide correspondent. Taryn Malone has been a contributor for Metro News for the last two seasons and joins this podcast after being a listener and a high school football player in season one and a supporter throughout. I've appreciated getting to know Taryn and getting to work with Taryn and to watch him blossom into the young man and professional that he is turning into and he is becoming. Could not be more proud to know him, could not be more proud to get to watch that firsthand and to see the person and the professional he's developing into. He's going to be an asset to this program and will provide some really interesting tidbits and insight uh, from around the state and maybe some areas that we don't get to touch a ton on this show. We'll do some different things with Taryn every week, have some different topics of discussion, go some different ways with things. But basically, if you don't know Taryn, here he is to introduce himself and to set the tone for the 2021 season. Hey, Eric, I appreciate you having me on the program. 
You know, I remember a time when I was a young high school sports reporter and I would sit down every week and listen to the program. Here we are a few years later. And once again, I'm a guest on your show. I really appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk high school athletics with you once again. For some of you who don't know me, my name is Terry Malone. I went to Magnolia High School where I was a student sports reporter and athlete for football and track. Currently, I'm a junior at WVU and I work as a sports media content creator for Metro News covering all high school sports all across the state of West Virginia. We look back a year ago and there were so many uncertainties that took place. I remember a time where I was in my car and I was on my way to a high school football game and it got canceled because of a positive COVID case. And I pulled up our composite schedule that Joe Bricado made and I would just look down the list to see what games would actually be taking place that evening. And so I just went to the closest game as possible. I filled that empty slot for the website. But right now I'm just glad that we are heading back in the right direction. We managed to complete a successful winter sports season this year along with spring sports. I felt we did not have the opportunities in the fall to do what we're doing now. I unfortunately lost a loved one to COVID. So to improve to where we are now with the testing and the vaccinations rolling out, I feel we can get back on track towards what we had before all of this. Yeah, and some preseason notes there with Ohio in the mid-Ohio Valley. Um, last season, Fort Fry went 10-1. and They made it to the state semifinals. They lost to a good Springfield team that went on to the state championship and lost 38-35. to Springfield defeated Fort Fry 16-13. Uh, a couple other teams in Ohio I'm keeping my eyes on this season. Marietta, um, Shadyside River, a Frontier team that started out 4-0. and They went to Magnolia. They lost to Magnolia, and then they finished the season 5-4. and So they went out out on a roll last season, and I'm looking forward to see what that Frontier team can do this season. For the Ohio Valley on the West Virginia side, St. Mary's, they're your defending class single-A state champions with Ritchie County being the state runner-up. Williamstown, they look to be good. They were the only team to defeat St. Mary's last season, so I'll keep an eye on Williamstown. But the favorites coming into the season, I would think in class single-A would be Williamstown and Ritchie County. Ritchie County's got Ethan Hot coming back and Gus more so that duo right there is a big threat to many teams in the class single A playing field, I would think. In Williamstown, they, they've always been a really good program, but I feel like this year they can rebound and recover and get back to where they needed to be. Doddridge County last season, they lost to East Hardy in the opening round of the playoffs. They finished 6-2. and two. They lost to East Hardy 25-19, what was an exciting game. And then I went from that game over to Wirt County. And you remember this, Eric. I was driving back from Doddridge County my car blew up <laughs> and I would hitchhike from US 50 to Ritchie County to cover the Ritchie County work game, which we'll get to in a second. Work County, they finished out 5-3 and three, and they lost to Ritchie County, like I said, 16-7. to seven. But whenever I got there, I got there as soon as kickoff has started and I just went on my way and continued to do things for Metro News. So that's the dedication I am willing to take. A hitchhike on US 50 to get from Doddridge County to Ritchie County so I could get more content for the website. Also, another note in high school football in class single A, Wheeling Central, they have seven of nine opponents from out of state. So the in-state competition would be man and weir. So we're looking forward to seeing how Wheeling Central will handle that diversity in their schedule this season. And yeah, taking a preseason look at our Metro News high school football notebook for the 2021 season, Joe Bricado and Greg Carey does tremendous work on the website to get everybody updated and up to speed on what's going on all across the state of West Virginia. So 
Joe's got this broken down to top games week by week. In week one, Cabell Midland, they went 5-0 and last season. They're going to Spring Valley week one. Two of the MSAC's uh, premier programs will meet in Huntington. The Knights defeated the Timberwolves twice in 2019 en route to a, a Super 6 State tournament bid. Another notable game in week one, Independence went 5-3 and last season, and they will travel to Liberty Raleigh that went 6-1. and Two of the top programs in Southern West Virginia will clash. Both of these teams are in Class AA, so that's just something to keep an eye on for the Class AA playing field early. Liberty defeated Independence last fall 36-26. Meanwhile, we had some coaching changes over the past couple of months. Just to be a little bit more specific, Tyler Ferris will be promoted to head coach after he has been a three-year offensive coordinator for the Bridgeport Indians. This comes after John Cole announcing his resignation as head coach. And then the latest Capitol High School head coach, John Carpenter, resigned in late June. And that position is to be filled sometime soon. Moving forward, another preseason note, Payton City, they finished the season early last year because of a a short roster. They got a brand new coach. Zach Heasley left the program to take on a new challenge. And now we have new head coach, Robert Price. He was the assistant coach for Payton City, and he is also the Payton City High School athletic director. So a big role for Coach Price as he's coming into this season, looking to boost that roster that was um, down last season. So that's another challenge Coach Price will have to face this upcoming season. Yeah, Eric, and a team I'm keeping an eye on the most this season that didn't make playoffs last season in class single A would have to be Cameron. Cameron went 4-3 and in 2020. The Dragons closed the last season with back-to-back road victories at Tyler Consolidated and Clay Battelle, and the bulk of the Cameron High School roster returns yet again. Yeah, I appreciate talking to you. We'll sit down and talk again soon. Once again, that's Taryn Malone of Metro News. He's our new statewide correspondent. Glad to have him on board. I'd forgotten until he brought it up that he actually hitchhiked back from the Doddridge County playoff game to Ellenboro, where Richie and Wirt were playing. I covered that game, and he was also there covering it as well. Somehow that fact had gotten lost in the shuffle. That's an all-timer as far as Taryn's concerned. But either way, he brings up some interesting points. The coaching carousel is one we'll return to here in just a little bit as well. These are the things you look at when you're looking at who to watch at the start of the season. How did teams finish last season, as Taryn brought up with Cameron? Who was unexpectedly good? Who was unexpectedly down last season? And what led to that? And who's got what players coming back that may be impact pieces for this year? So, uh, again, a lot of it's an inexact science. There are still things to be surprised about. That's what happens in sports. But, looking at it from the preseason, glad to have his perspective. And that's what we're looking at as we turn the page here to 2021. Time now for a new segment we'll call Between the Hash Marks. And Between the Hash Marks is going to be a segment where we take a deeper look into something. It could be an interview. It could be an opinion piece. It could be anything that's going on in high school football that pertains to this area. And today we're going to look at the West Virginia coaching carousel. One of the things that Taryn pointed out and one of the things that Taryn touched on was the big one at Capitol. John Carpenter is out at Capitol High School. That one sent some ripples statewide. Carpenter, of course, had that program playing for state championships. Carpenter definitely left his mark. Market Capital had a good run there, but left in midsummer saying that he didn't feel that the kids at Capital, his student athletes, and just the school itself was getting the support it needed out of Kanawha County Schools. Kanawha County Schools has put new turf in at all their facilities except for Laidley Field, which is where Capital plays. That's not owned by Kanawha County Schools. That venue has been given to the University of Charleston. It's Laidley Field at University of Charleston Stadium. We saw a trend for a long time 
in the NFL where it was viewed positively if a college program played in an NFL stadium, where that was almost seen as a recruiting tool. And now I don't know that that's the case. Miami is still doing that. They've left the Orange Bowl and they've been playing in Hard Rock Stadium where the Dolphins play for a long time. When Heinz Field was built in Pittsburgh, that was built as a shared home, in word at least, as a shared home for the Pitt Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. But we're finding out, it seems, that there is not an equality there, or it's hard to strike that equality to where that venue feels like an equal home for both the NFL team and both the college team. And to some extent, I think we're seeing that at the high school level now, where it was once viewed maybe as a plus for a high school sports program to get to play at a college venue. App, it's a couple places in this state. Bluefield Mitchell Stadium is home of college football on Saturdays. Glenville State is home to Gilmer County, and University of Charleston Stadium has UC and it has Capital Cougars. Other than that, it doesn't happen a ton in this state, but it was viewed at one point as an asset uh, for a high school team to get to play in a college stadium. But now, I think the worm is turning on that a little bit because I think those college stadiums, even at that level, are proving to be just a little bit too big to have a true home field advantage. These are big, spacious venues, and while they have nice facilities in a lot of cases, they just don't quite give you that high school football feel. And I think that when everyone else was getting new turf and Capital wasn't because of the complications of their home field, that was certainly making that not seem like a favorable situation for Coach Carpenter. I give him credit for standing up and fighting for what he believes is in the best interest of his kids. He was very outspoken when talking to Ryan Pritt of the Charleston Gazette Mail about this issue, about how he just didn't have it in him anymore to continue to fight that fight, and he encouraged someone else to do that, to keep fighting the fight for the kids at Charleston's Capitol High School. And a similar situation, though, maybe for some different reasons, played out at Oak Hill this year as well. Longtime Fayetteville head coach Dave Moneypenny was hired at Oak Hill to start the 2020 season, left suddenly after one year at Oak Hill. Money Penny was frustrated about the number of staff members he had. He only had two or three paid assistants, and Oak Hill is a triple-A school. It's one of those schools that you don't really think about as triple-A. Oak Hill, just south of Fayetteville, but that's a triple-A school. Low triple-A, but a triple-A school. And with two to three paid assistants, that's not a lot of help. You can't get good assistance unless you offer them money. People want money for their time, and that's a lot of time, even when you're an assistant coach of a high school football program. There's a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of rearranging your schedule and putting family obligations off. You need to entice people to step up and do that. But either way, he made it clear to some reporters, particularly Dave Morrison in the southern part of the state, that he just didn't feel like some things that he was going to get when he took that job were being paid off. He was led to believe that he had more support than he ended up having. That's a community thing. That's an administration thing at both the school and the school system. So we're starting to see coaches leave the profession, perfectly good coaches, successful coaches, leave the the profession when they don't feel like they're getting the support of their school, of their community, of anybody. We are in a time, as we come out of COVID, and I promise I'm not making this a COVID thing, but bear me out. We are coming out of a time where, at the very least, COVID taught us what we need to prioritize in life, what's important, what's not important. And for a lot of people, that lesson was that we need to cut the unimportant things out, and it really showed us what was important and unimportant to begin with. I think a lot of the things that we've been doing, a lot of the traditions that we've been holding to, went away and we suddenly were like, well, why was I doing that in the first place? This is a time where you need to work harder to convince people to spend time away from their families and their loved ones, even if coaching runs deep into their blood and even if something it's something they're 
passionate about. But that's not what we're seeing at the state level in West Virginia. Craig Dutton does a great job to keep tabs on the coaching changes. He's posted that on his social media a number of times, and he's posted that on the message boards. He's got a post on Tailgate Central that runs down the coaching changes in high school football this year. Craig Dutton, like Terry Malone, a longtime friend of the pod. There are 20 vacancies statewide, with Carpenter still unfilled as we sit here in late July. There have been 20 statewide vacancies in high school football this year. I counted it up. By my count, there are 107 schools in West Virginia playing football. So that's one in five schools that play football in this state are going to have some turnover in the coaching ranks this year. And you expect some of that. There are some that step aside because of performance. They're maybe forced out the door or they just realize that whatever they're doing hasn't been working and they need to try something else. There are some that retire. There are some that, for health reasons, have to give it up. There are a number of reasons. But we're seeing people like John Carpenter. He's a fairly young man. He's got small kids. You're seeing him step down. Zach Heasley is in his mid-20s. He left Payton City to go do something else. And then there's this one out of Nitro, where Zach Davis, a longtime coach who has a popular podcast among football coaches and coaches in this state, he's well-received on social media. A lot of people have met him. I've never met him, but a lot of people that have met him are very big on him. They say he's a great guy. He was led to believe at Nitro he would have the ability to stay on as head coach there, and then they reviewed his contract, and, and they let him go. I'm oversimplifying that, and I apologize. I don't know the details about that situation, but Davis, a well-regarded guy, in a program that has not had any success or a lot of success in the last several years, really since J.R. House, if we're being honest, was let walk out the door. Davis has resurfaced at Buchanan Upshur, but still going from Nitro to Buchanan for a coaching job, that's a, a move. You have to relocate your family to do that. These aren't just older coaches that are getting washed out of the profession. These are younger men that want to lead people and in some cases have committed to their communities and committed to their schools that we're letting walk out the door and we're letting move on to other things and to greener pastures in some cases. This is a level of turnover that isn't quite getting the attention it should, but it demands it, I think, when one in five schools in the state, give or take, has switched coaches for the coming football season. I know maybe the pandemic has forced a little bit of that with people's patience and mental health wearing down, but still, the coaching profession is hard enough as it is. We should not be forcing good coaches to step away from this. We should not be making things harder for good coaches to be in the coaching ranks. We should be working hard to maintain the people we have that want to be in contact with our young people. There's always this talk in West Virginia about the struggle to stay, and this is part of it. We need to support young people, young professionals in their professions, and give them the resources they need to succeed and to grow something. For all the people that leave this state, there are a lot of people in this state that want to stay here, want to build something, and some of these coaches that have left their schools or that did leave their schools wanted to keep building in those communities and were sent packing. Some of them resurfaced elsewhere and good for them. Last time I checked, there is not an abundance of young people wanting to come into the state for any reason. So let's support young professionals. First and foremost, that's one of the conclusions I want to reach here. In all walks of life, not just coaching, but particularly with coaching in this instance because we're talking about high school football. But there are not an abundance of people that want to pour into your kids, that want to influence young people and want to help kids. And this leads me to House Bill 3266 that went through both legislative bodies in this spring's legislative session. And what it does is it states that any extracurricular contract that a person has with a school system will terminate when a school employee retires 
essentially requiring the employee to reapply for the contract that includes coaching positions. Now, in many cases, you can apply for that job again and get the job again, but you may not. There was a policy that affected Zach Davis at Nitro, where in his words, from what I read on the message board about this, in his words, if you were hired after 2015, Kanawha County will post your coaching job again. And when that time came up, they decided they wanted to go in a different direction. So basically, this opens the door to personal issues and vendettas and things like that seeping into the decision-making process. You may be having a successful run there, but if one person doesn't like you and you've reapplied and they like someone better, there you go. There's the door. I certainly hope my profession never gets to the point to where if someone knocked on my boss's door and was better than me and wanted my job, that I would be essentially gone. I would hope there are other things that play into that, as, as it should with any job situation. Loyalty and, and your success and your time there, regardless of whether or not there are better people out there, that should play something into that. But House Bill 3266 was essentially designed for things like bus drivers and teachers, that when you retire, you have to reapply for the contract. And I know there are probably some situations where in the school systems, this is probably ideal. But what about bus drivers? There's no abundance of bus drivers right now. A lot of districts are really struggling to find substitute bus drivers. You're needing those contracts to roll over. And again, there are coaching positions that are filled with retired professionals that have done this for a very long time that worked through the school system and worked hard to be able to retire so they can devote more time to coaching. The time they have left, they want to spend coaching and pouring into young people. That's admirable that retired people want to do that. They don't have to do that. They can move to Myrtle Beach, move to Florida, move to wherever the kids are and and play with the grandkids. They don't have to come out and do two-a-days. They don't have to be in the weight room and be around your kids. It is admirable, in my opinion, that retired people want to go back and give their time to young people. You can't find enough reputable people that kids can lean on and kids can be influenced by in this world. Uh, Different people are going to touch different kids for different reasons. And the more people that pour into your child, the more people that are there to help your child along the way, the better off they'll be. So we need to make sure we're not pushing people away from coaching, whether they're young, whether they're old. If there are good responsible, reputable people out there that want to impact your children and the children of your area by coaching, let's foster that. Let's realize why they're there, the track record that they have put in, and the time they've put in. We've never been in a time where there are more rewards, more attention, more glory for successful programs and coaches. We live in an era of social media, and I'm not saying that's why the coaches do it, but you do get some positive attention. When your program goes well, your school is having some success, you feel like a bit of a celebrity, I would imagine, when you win state championships and you go to play in state tournaments and things like that. You get attention that the average Joe doesn't get. You know, you get interviewed on statewide media. People want to put your face in the paper and stuff like that. And that's not why coaches do it, but it certainly doesn't deter them either. But at the same time, it's never been harder to make a go of it in coaching. There are so many hands in the pot now, administrators, boosters. It's tougher and tougher to get the attention of young people nowadays. Parents can be a struggle to deal with. The community in general that doesn't have really skin in the game. The people of our community that don't have have, the people of any community, really, that don't have kids in school, don't have connections to administrators, you need their support, too. Uh, they own businesses that you need to get behind your program, and and they need to, to be invested in why your school and your program can be an asset to commu- your community and why uh, you should support them by sponsoring this fundraiser, sponsoring that fundraiser. The community in general needs to support your program. 
It's never been harder to make a go of it because those obstacles have become more and more difficult to overcome in various communities as we've gone on. But we need to recognize the talent and the skill and the dedication that it takes among those that are committed and among those that have had success in developing young people. And we need to foster that talent and recognize it for what it is. Before we wrap up, a word on a couple people we've lost since we last talked to you. We can't have a full memorial for everyone we've lost that had some impact in high school sports between now and the last time we talked because I'm certainly would be missing people, but these two in particular need to be pointed out. One is Butch Powell, who was the former assistant executive director of the WVSSAC, a longtime coach in the Kanawha Valley before, and in retirement from the SSAC, he worked on the radio as an analyst for Williamstown Basketball and for Parkersburg High School Football. He passed away last week as a result of pancreatic cancer after a brief bout with pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer, if you've not had any familiar with it, and if you haven't, then bless you, and you're lucky you haven't because it is an aggressive form. It can come on quickly, and it did with Butch Powell, who made high school sports better. He was somebody that poured into young people through his time in administration, through his time in coaching, was always looking to make the activity better for the young people. And in his retirement, he even worked through the Upward Sports Program at Fellowship Baptist Church in the Parkersburg area. He will be missed in high school sports. And another giant figure that was lost was Kenny Wright, who passed away uh, since we've last talked, the former longtime head coach at Ritchie County High School, Pennsboro High school, somebody that touched a lot of lives and touched a lot of, uh, and shaped a lot of people and made them the adult that they are today. He passed away earlier this year as well. We talked about him a couple years ago in the light of Alex Miller's death. Alex Miller, the young man from Roan County who died on the field during a game against Clay County. Wright sadly lost Chuck Schofield in a game in 1993 and that doesn't define his entire career but he was someone at the time that was uniquely qualified to talk about the challenges that not just his program faced but his school in his community faced. And one of the things he said on social media is that he realized people were looking to him for guidance and for leadership. And while he didn't have all the answers, he needed to step up and be that person. And not everybody has it in themselves to step up and be those people. It takes real alpha personalities to get into coaching. In some regards, teaching, but mainly into coaching. You have to be a real alpha personality and and figure how to manage people and how to get the best efforts out of people. And Butch Powell and Kenny Wright were were two of those guys that knew how to get the best out of people. They spent a lifetime, spent both their lifetimes, pouring into the young people, their community, just to try to give back after sports gave them so much. Again, Butch Powell and Kenny Wright will both be missed and remembered for a long time for their contributions to high school athletics. We really didn't get to talk a lot about storylines on this week's episode. Really, we set the table for where we've been and where we're going this season. And we talked about that coaching issue. So next week, we're going to talk about our top storylines going into the season. We'll hear from Taryn again. And we'll also uh, talk about where we are coming out of last year and where a lot of programs are coming out of last year. In coming weeks, we'll have interviews with coaches. We'll have our preseason preview series that will air on the Light Rock 93, our Facebook page. So be watching for that in the next few weeks. And we'll share highlights from that here on the High School Football Podcast as well. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud every Wednesday from now until the end of the high school football season. So we will be on the air with the Eric Little High School Football Podcast way after Thanksgiving. You'll be making out your Christmas list and maybe even purchasing your Christmas presents by the time you're finished hearing us this season. We're glad to be back with you once again for Season 4 of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook. The page is there as well. Uh, Comments, questions, I'll get to those on another edition of the show. 
so leave those if you've got them. Thank you so much for joining us. For Tarrant Malone, my name is Eric Little. We appreciate you listening to us once again. We ask your support for another season, and I'm excited. I know you're excited. We'll talk to you again next week. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.